we had a good time on the Utah trip. It's kind of hard to hear, but we were able to spend some time in a number of the parks in West Jordan, just engaging with the people, sharing the love of Christ and sharing some popcorn and cotton candy and snow cones with them. It was a really good deal. Got home last night about 5.30, pulled into the parking lot here at 5.30, made it to the house about six o'clock. So we'll see how it goes this morning. But I wanna say thank you to our pastor for allowing me to get to share with you guys. I was excited. He came to me a couple of weeks ago, said, hey, I'm gonna be out. And would you be willing to preach on the 4th and the 11th? And I said, yes, I would love to preach. I'd love to get back in the pulpit. He said, I said, what passages are you gonna give me? So I'm gonna give you Acts chapter six. Well, I looked at Acts chapter six and that's the birth of the deacon ministry. And I thought, thank you, pastor, for giving me the birth of the deacon ministry. Uh, it's interesting because uh, 7% of our congregation are deacons. So we have 62 deacons within our congregation. So six or 7% of our congregation are deacons. That means 93% of our congregation are not deacons. When I thought about preaching this passage on the deacon ministry and the birth of the deacon ministry, I thought, well, there goes 93% of my congregation. They're not gonna listen because we're talking about deacons. The other 7% are not gonna listen because about four weeks ago, we had a big deacon weekend where we talked through on Friday night and Saturday morning through deacon ministry and how to be an effective deacon. And the passage of scripture that our speaker shared was from Acts chapter six, which is what we're looking at. So I figured, well, thank you, pastor, but I've just lost 100% of the audience before we even open the book and start talking about deacon ministry. But I wanna ask you to hold on, to hang tight, because I think even if you're not a deacon and if you are a deacon, have already been trained up in this, I think there's some things that the Lord wants to teach us. And I was thinking about this passage. I remember a song from long, long time ago. I remember a song that came out in May of 1974. And the title of the song was, You Can't Be a Beacon If Your Light Don't Shine. Some of you may know that song. A lot of you probably don't know that song. It doesn't really matter because as a little child, I heard that probably sung as a special in my home church. I didn't hear it as you can't be a beacon. I heard it as you can't be a deacon if your light don't shine. And you know, for, I'm always putting the wrong lyrics and songs and stuff, but I heard that as you can't be a deacon if your light don't shine. And I remember as a little kid scratching my head because my father wasn't a deacon. He is now, but he wasn't then. And I knew the prominence of the deacon ministry within my church, even as a child, because I saw what they did and I saw how necessary they were. And my understanding, even as a child, of what a deacon was, was that they were a servant and that their light did shine. And as a child, I was, I was befuddled. There's a good word. I was befuddled by the fact that my father wasn't a deacon, yet I knew that he loved the church because every Saturday morning, he would get myself and my, little, my older brother, and we would head up to the church every Saturday morning, and we would change the marquee. We would change whatever catchy phrase was gonna be on the marquee for that week. So we would do that. I remember going with him on Saturday afternoons as he had baked fresh homemade bread on Saturday morning. And I would accompany him and he would go to the widows and widowers in our church and he would provide them with homemade bread. We couldn't eat it because it was for them. And then I can remember on Sunday mornings, often riding with him in the church van. And the task was to get there early so that we could go pick up the, mainly it was our senior adult ladies that can no longer drive to church. And he would drive and I would ride and I would go up and knock on the door, ring the doorbell. I'd help him down the stairs and I'd help him into the church van as a kid. And I can remember that. 
And it kept me wondering, what, what, what do you have to do to be a deacon? Because if it's about serving the church, my dad's serving the church. And it was really frustrating to me as a child, not knowing why my father couldn't be a deacon, because his light was shining. So we're going to talk about the birth of the deacon ministry and what it means to be a deacon. And listen, don't, just because you're not a deacon, don't tune us out. Or just because you are a deacon and you know better than I do what it means to be a deacon, don't tune us out. If we can have 100% of us tuned into what God has to say this morning, I think we can all be a better church and better individual Christians because of it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter six. We're gonna look at a, a incident in the life of the early church where a problem arises. Now listen, they were accustomed to problems and difficulties from outside the church. Now they were facing a difficulty from within the body, a difficulty that if they did not address it immediately, had the potential to, to split the early church. So you've got a problem that we'll see in this, you've got a solution that God provides for them, and then you have the results, which are God's continued blessing. So Acts chapter six, we're gonna read verses one through seven. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they had said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Verse seven, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the first thing I see in this passage, I see the problem. I call it the great complaint. And listen, don't miss this. Don't miss the significance of this. This was a huge deal within the life of the early church. Verse one tells us that there were two groups within the body. There were two groups of widows within the body. There were the Hebraic Jewish widows, these widows were likely natives of Palestine. Uh, they spoke Aramaic or Hebrew, so they, sp they spoke the language that was spoken. They were from that area, and then there was a second group. And these were the Hellenists or the Grecian Jewish widows. They were likely not from Palestine. Uh, they were, in a sense, outsiders. They probably spoke Greek. They brought their Hellenistic or Grecian attitude into the church. And what was happening was, and probably not on purpose, but what was happening was these foreign widows were not being served as the, as the Hebraic, the Hebrew widows were being served. So there was a, a, a rumbling within the body. There was some frustration that was growing. It, it seemed as if the apostles were playing favorites that those that are, that, are, that are us, that are one of us, we're gonna serve them, but those that are outsiders that are now in our body, we're not gonna serve them. So there was frustration among the body and there was a problem. And, and the, problem, the problem was if this wasn't addressed immediately, then it could ca cause great division within the church, within the body. 
And remember, you've got a whole world outside the church that's watching what takes place within the church. They had it then, we have it now. Anytime there's division within the church, those outside the church are watching to see how are the Christians gonna handle this? So the apostles were faced with the decision. What were they gonna do? How were they gonna handle that? They had dropped the ball. And listen, if immediate action was not taken, then the complaints would turn into discord. And discord would lead to division. And division could lead to irreversible damage to the church and to the witness of the church. So it seems as if, as you're reading this, that it's not that big of a deal, but it was a huge deal. And it was something that needed to be addressed immediately. So what was the solution? I like to title this God's Sovereign Solution. Why God's Sovereign Solution? Because I've been in ministry long enough to recognize that when issues arise in the church, we can do one of two things. We can either address it in our own intellect and in our own abilities, or we can address it with the mind of Christ. And here's what happens. Sometimes I'll face a situation and it will seem insignificant. It won't seem like it's that big of a deal. So in my own human wisdom, I'll approach it and I'll try to address it and I'll try to fix it. But when I approach it with my own intellect and my own wisdom, oftentimes I make it worse. And what was a minor problem can become a major problem because I'm trying to address it in my own power, in my own intellect, in my own abilities. But the apostles in their wisdom went to the Father immediately, immediately and their, their, their request was, Father, what do we do? How do we address this? How do we fix this before it becomes something much larger than what it is? So you read in God's word in verses two through four, look again at it. And this is what the father said to the apostles. Said in the 12, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute or of good reputation men full of the spirit and full of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In God's sovereignty, he'd already set aside seven men, seven men that could step up and help with the ministry within the body of believers. Seven men, the word says, that are of good reputation, full of wisdom and full of the spirit. Why these three character traits? Why did they need to be men of good reputation? Why did they need to be men full of the spirit of God? Why did they need to be men full of wisdom? Why not some other character traits? Why these three? Because these three traits in particular are needed for effective and honorable and unifying service within the body of Christ. A good reputation was necessary because these men would be serving some of the most vulnerable within the body. Widows in the first century were greatly dependent upon the generosity of the church. And these widows, these foreign widows especially, were dependent upon the church for the distribution of food and ministry. They didn't have the benefit of extended family probably. So it's hard enough being a widow when you had extended family, but here are these outsiders, these foreigners that have come into the church and believed in Christ and are seeing that these brothers and sisters are selling and giving and serving and, and living for Christ and doing all of this. And, and there's, there's this, this great need. So these had to be men of good reputation. 
with honorable character for their main responsibility was embodied to Christ, the rest of the congregation. As servants within the body, their actions would either strengthen the body, thus drawing members into deeper relationship with Christ, or if done poorly, would hinder the body and push people away from Christ. Whether you're a deacon in this body or you're not, you're a member of this body, Emmanuel Baptist Church. The way you carry yourself affects the ministry of this church. The way you carry yourself inside the walls of this church, the way you carry yourself outside the walls of this church, the things that you do, the things that you don't do, the words that you speak, the words that you don't speak, your attitude and your actions are either drawing people into deeper relationship with Christ or they're pushing people away. So these men had to be men of good reputation. The deacons within this body have to be men of good reputation. Members within this body have to be people of good reputation with integrity because people are watching us and people are drawn to Christ or they're pushed away from Christ because of our witness. So these men that were chosen, they had to commit to time and sacrifice, all these things that are necessary to serve God's church in a most impactful and influential manner. Let me say this, if you are a deacon in this room, if you carry the title deacon, yet you, you fail to perform the duties of a deacon, that is contrary to the office and it is detrimental to the overall ministry effectiveness of this church. If you're gonna, if you're gonna claim the title deacon, then serve as a deacon. These men were tasked with choosing, or the church was tasked with choosing men of good reputation and we too are called to do the same. They are also tasked with choosing men full of the Spirit. Acts chapter one, verse eight says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. John 16, seven says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I, if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not only were these men to be men of good reputation, they were also to be filled with the Spirit. They were to serve God's church in such a way that brings God the most honor and the most glory and meets the needs of his church most effectively. And you can't do that in your own power. That can only be accomplished as you are filled with the Spirit of God and the empowering of the Spirit of God. You will not survive in ministry in any form or fashion, whether it's behind a pulpit in a Sunday school class, anywhere. You will not survive in ministry trying to do things in your own power. It's the empowering of the Spirit of God that, that does it. So in my 32 years of ministry, I've served alongside a number of deacons in a number of churches. And I have served alongside some very highly skilled, some extremely intelligent, and some very well-educated deacons that were not very good deacons because they were trying to serve in their own power and their own giftedness. <clears throat> I have also served alongside some very unskilled men of mediocre intelligence, men who were not well-educated, 
but men who were unbelievable deacons because they were men of good reputation and they were men filled with the spirit of God. And really their ministry was simply an overflow of their time spent with the Lord and a reflection of who Christ is. Spirit-filled men of good reputation changed the culture of the early church and helped prevent an impending crisis due to improper ministry practices. And listen, the same is true for deacons within this body. We may never know how much division has been prevented simply as a result of the committed service of godly men of good reputation who are filled with the Spirit and are faithfully serving God's church. So the disciples were tasked with finding men of good reputation, men who were filled with the Spirit, and men who were full of wisdom. James chapter three, verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. James 3, 17 says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I can promise you from my time in ministry that God's wisdom is needed daily in the task that we are called to. Remember, friends, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And if we're to serve his church in our own wisdom and our own power and our own thinking, then we're gonna fall short. But if we will serve him with his wisdom and his empowering, with a good reputation, then God's work will be accomplished within the body. So a problem arises in the church. God's solution is seven men of good reputation filled with the spirit and full of wisdom. When you look at it, when you read it, it seems pretty simple, yet it's profoundly effective. And I wanna say this to those of you that don't stand behind a pulpit, that don't get the accolades, that don't get the data boys, that don't get the thank yous, that don't get the pat on the back. Don't ever underestimate the impact of the servant in the eternal effectiveness of God's church. Don't ever underestimate how important you are. So what if you're never acknowledged from the pulpit? So, no, so what if you're never the IBC member of the year? So what if we don't throw a banquet at your retirement? So what? Because what matters is God is watching and I am looking and people are seeing. And remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said this. He said, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you have a problem that's arisen, you have a solution, and then you have the results or God's continued blessings. Verse four says, the apostles continued the work to which God had called them. And that work was prayer and, and preaching and proclamation of the word. We don't read it in the text, but we can surmise from what is taking place that those widows who had been neglected were now being served. We can also surmise, we don't read it, but we can surmise from the text that a possible split had been diverted. Just simply because they were obedient to God's call, they found seven men that could accomplish the work of ministering to the widows within the body. <clears throat> and verse seven, what were the results? 
Look at verse seven, and it says, and the word of God continued to increase. Because the apostles were able to commit themselves to prayer and preaching and proclamation of the truth, the word of God increased. And as the word of God increased, it says in verse seven that the number of the disciples greatly multiplied. So you have the potential for a split because of what had taken place in the church, but because they were obedient and because they were immediate in their response and acted on what the Lord had given them to do, there was resolution. And because of that resolution, the preaching could continue and God's blessing would continue and God's spirit would continue to move. And and numbers, the numbers within the church, the number of disciples greatly increased. And then don't miss this. At the close of verse seven, it says a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Don't miss that. Don't miss the significance of that. Not only were ordinary Jews being reached with the gospel, but the gospel was reaching the, the, the priests, those who were entrenched in Judaism and legalism and tradition. They were seeing how the gospel changes lives. They were seeing how the gospel changes people, how the gospel can change a community. And what they had known had fallen short, but what they were seeing was the truth being played out. And even the priests were being drawn to the church. So listen, when our church is healthy because those within the body are serving in obedience and in their giftedness and in the empowering of the Lord Jesus, people take notice. God's spirit moves freely. People are saved and growth occurs. Let me remind you, church, we are not in the business of growing Emmanuel Baptist Church. That's not our job. We are not in the business of growing this church numerically. We are in the business of serving God, of serving his church and serving this community. And if we'll be faithful to do these things, then God will be faithful to grow his church for his glory and for his honor. I gather together with other pastors and the first thing they ask us is, hey, how big is your church? And what they're asking is how many people are in attendance? And if I can tell them that our church has this many, then they're like, wow, you guys are super effective. Just because there are people in the pews or people in the seats doesn't necessarily mean that we're effective. It might be a reflection that that we're effective, But that doesn't necessarily mean it. There are churches all across our nation right now that every seat in the house is filled, but they're not preaching the truth. I just spent a week in a location where they have a, there is a commute, there is a conference center that has been built, opened in 2000, has 21,000 seats in it. Twice a year, they fill all of those seats, but the truth is not being proclaimed. We have been called by God as children of God, as ambassadors of Christ. We have been called to share the gospel, to use our giftedness, to be filled with the spirit, to be people of good reputation that are loving Christ and loving people. And when we do that, when we're loving people within the walls of this church and it's going out beyond the walls of this church, then God will build his church. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men unto myself. It is our job to lift up Christ. It is his job to draw people to himself. So let's not worry about building the church. Let's worry about being faithful to Christ. We do his part and he does his part. 
So I wanna pause here and I wanna address a couple of questions that may have arisen in your mind. Question number one, were the apostles above waiting on tables, serving the widows, serving the needy? Were they, were they above that? The answer to that question is no. Were the apostles capable of waiting on tables and serving the needy? The answer to that question is yes. So then if they were not above it, and if they were able to do it, then why didn't they do it? Listen, because God had called them to pray and preach and proclaim. And as honorable as serving the church is by meeting the needs of the widows, that was not their main calling. I wanna say something, but I need you to hear me clearly, please. Just because you can does not mean that you always should. Just because you can does not mean that you always should. When we consistently, when we consistently serve outside our giftedness and calling, we dishonor God and we hinder the effectiveness of his church. So friends, if you've been, if you've been gifted and called to preach, then preach. If you have been gifted and called to pray, then pray. If you've been gifted and called to sing, then sing. If you've been gifted and called to teach, then teach. If you have been gifted and called to serve, then serve. And listen, I'm not saying that, that preachers can't sing. Well, they really can't sing, but I'm not saying that preachers can't sing and teachers can't preach and servants can't pray. And, and I'm not saying that. What I am saying and what I believe God's word is teaching, especially in this passage, is that we should spend the majority of our time serving in the giftedness that God has given us. God is the one who assembles this body. And he is the one who has gifted each of us in such a way that our giftedness and our ability when meshed together with the giftedness and abilities of others within this body, when we are serving in humility, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we're being directed by, by God the Father, then we are most effective. And we are a most effective church in our community. So here's a for instance. Can Dr. Dr. Jeff DiGiacomo wait on tables? Can he handle a chainsaw? Can he swing an ax? Can he pick up trash? Can he sort food? Can he work in the nursery? Can he clean out the flower beds? Yes, 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 yes. He can do all of that. I've seen him do all of that. But listen, if the majority of his time throughout the week is spent doing these things, then where will, we find, where will he find the time needed to devote himself to prayer and study in preparation to preach the truth of God's word to us, God's word to us on a weekly basis? You know where we need to find our pastor most of the time and what we need to find him doing? The majority of our pastor's time doesn't need to be spent visiting hospitals. It doesn't need to be spent at the nursing home. It doesn't need to be spent taking care of the lawn. It doesn't need to be spent cleaning up after a tornado. Although all those things are good and all those things have to be accomplished. But our pastor, for us to be the most effective church that we can be, our pastor needs to spend the majority of his time on his knees in prayer in his office in study and behind this pulpit preaching the truth of God's word. Can our pastor participate in the many service opportunities that this church has? Yes. 
Should our pastor participate in the many service opportunities before our church? Yes and no. Yes, and that his participation sets an incredible example for all of us. And when we see our pastor serving, it impacts our hearts. And when people in our community see that the senior pastor is serving, it impacts their hearts. So yes, he should do that, but no, he should not do that if it negatively affects the preaching, proclamation, and prayer that God has called him to. That's what the apostles were saying. We're not above serving the widows, but God has called us to lead out in preaching and praying and proclamation. And when we're serving the widows, we're not doing this. We're not effective in that. So here's the deal. God has called you to do something within the body of this church. And those somethings have to be accomplished and they have to be accomplished on at least a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. And if the widows within this body are not being ministered to, then the ministers within this body are gonna minister to the widows. And if the cleanup's not taking place after a tornado because the church body's not coming together, then the ministry staff's gonna do that. But while Jeff the is running a chainsaw and ministering to the widows, he's not praying and he's not preparing himself to preach. So he's not working within his giftedness most effectively. And yes, we're ministering to a community outside the walls of the church and we're ministering to the community within the walls of the church, but we're not being most effective because he's not serving inside his giftedness. So when you choose not to serve, then somebody else has to step up. One of two things happens. Somebody else steps up, serves outside their giftedness to fill what God has called you here to do, or that ministry doesn't get accomplished. And that's detrimental to the ministry effectiveness of our church when we say, I'm just gonna come and sit and soak. I'm not gonna serve. Jesus Christ came to serve and set the example for us. So you have a place of service within the walls of this church. And if it means you're picking up trash down 45th Street in the ditch and nobody sees you, pick up trash. If it means you come in here after the services are over and you pick up the trash that people leave in our place of worship, then come in here and pick up trash. Because somebody's gotta pick it up in here and out there. If it means serving in the nursery and, and, and changing diapers, then serve in the nursery and change diapers and do it to the glory of God. And do it with a, gray, a gracious and thankful heart that God would allow you to be of service to his kingdom. So should our pastor participate? Yes and no. And I wanna say something, I want you to hear this. Thinking about our pastor, just because he can doesn't mean that he should. And just because he isn't doesn't mean that he doesn't care. In fact, brothers and sisters, it might mean quite the opposite. So let me wind this down. As my, as my buddies in ministry say, brother, land the plane. Well, let me land the plane. Who were these seven men? They were men of high character, men filled with the spirit of God and men with an utter dependence upon the wisdom and empowering of God. What did they do? They lived lives of integrity in their homes, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, in their church. They led by example through their faithful, committed involvement in the ministries of, of the church and their positive, unifying, and selfless ability to put the needs of others above their own. They served without complaint. They served without the need for recognition. They served without the de desire of repayment of their time and their resources. 
And why were these men important? They were important because the preaching of the word and the prayers of the church could, be could not be accomplished without them. The preaching, the prayers, the proclamation, that would not happen without these seven men. And what amazes me is they were not the ones doing the preaching and the praying and the proclamation, but they were doing the work of the ministry so that the apostles could focus on the call that God had placed in their life, the preaching and the praying and the proclamation of the truth. So let me close with one final question. Does this mean that your service is of no value to the kingdom if you don't carry the title deacon? And the answer to that question is no. Some of the greatest, most influential people in my life as a minister have been people who were not deacons. My mother taught me that love for Christ comes first and service to him is our primary duty and she was not a deacon. The older gentleman who picked me up on Thursday afternoons when I was a student pastor at the First Baptist Church in Poto took me to the hospitals, took me to the nursing homes, taught me more about loving the sick and dying than anybody in my ministry experience. He was not a deacon. My youth minister's wife, when I was a child, who, who welcomed me into their home and shared her family with me, who modeled Christ's sacrificial and unconditional love, she was not a deacon. My high school shop teacher, who took an interest in an inexperienced teenage boy and taught him the finer things of the trade while also modeling Christian character in the public school system, he was not a deacon. And here today within this body, there are men with whom I meet on a weekly basis who challenge me in my walk with Christ. There are men who serve beside me hand in hand as we minister to the needs of our brothers and sisters in neighboring states and foreign countries. There are men and women who faithfully teach their Sunday school classes, rightly dividing the word of truth and faithfully ministering to the needs of their class member. And there are so many others who I see on a weekly basis working in the nursery, serving in the kitchen, taking care of our church property, and giving of their vacation time to sponsor children and students throughout the summer at Vacation Bible School, Cross Timbers, and Falls Creek. And so many of you are not deacons, nor will you ever carry the title deacon, yet you serve. You serve with character and integrity. You serve with godly wisdom and Holy Spirit empowering. And let me say this, each of you from my past and each of you in my present are a blessing to this minister and to this church. Your service does not go unnoticed. And your service to God and to this church and to your brothers and sisters of this community, your service frees me and the others on our church staff to focus on the work that God has called us to. So deacons, thank you for your service. Non-deacons, thank you for your service. Together we are the children of God effectively serving this body of Christ and this community for his glory and for his honor. If we will just simply do our part, whatever that part may be, and let God do his part, we will be amazed, I know, at the collective, eternal impact we can have as a unified, focused, committed family of believers who are called Emmanuel Baptist Church. So thinking back on that song, you can't be a beacon if your light don't shine. You know, maybe as a kid, I wasn't too far off when I heard it, heard it as you can't be a deacon if your light don't shine. Because in actuality, you can't be a deacon if your light don't shine. 
and you can't be a teacher if your light don't shine, and you can't be a singer if your light don't shine, and you can't be a servant if your light don't shine. So brothers and sisters, in the words of Jesus Christ, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and they may glorify your Father who's in heaven. The only title that matters is the title Christian. And as a Christian, you've been called to be God's ambassador. So go in the world, share the love of Christ, shine the light of the gospel, and see how God pulls people out of the darkness into the light and how he builds his church. Father, thank you for your word.